This is the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the show for real estate investors, stock traders, and business owners. We help you keep more of what you earn and protect what you've built. Let's get started. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Clint Coons here. And in this video, I got something special in store for you. We're going to be talking about how to use a virtual assistant to increase your real estate investing. All right, let's get started. Okay, Jonathan. Hey, thanks for coming on. I know it's taken a while to get you on here and I'm real excited to have you on because this idea of using virtual assistants to help you with real estate investing, you know, it's, it's a term I've heard thrown around out there. In fact, I used a virtual assistant years ago and I could see the benefit of one, but I never thought, Hey, use it when it comes to investing in real estate. I, I just don't see where that, that, that switches. And so I'm glad you're on here to explain to people how it can help them grow their business because you've got a great background story of how you got started. And, you know, by your mid twenties, you're able to retire basically and continue investing in real estate and grow your portfolio. We'll get into that and talk about that journey. But uh, why don't you just tell everybody, you know, about your business and, and some of that life story before we get into the virtual assistant stuff and how that can help them. Totally. The first book that ever triggered any of this for me is called The Four Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. It has ebbed and flowed as far as popularity goes. But for me, it was the first book that showed me a different path than the one I was on, which was corporate America. So I started out in corporate America. I didn't have much of a corporate background or business background. I actually played college golf and I was going to try to become a professional golfer until I realized how good professional golfers actually are and realized how not good I was compared to them. But I just started figuring, looking down the path of what are the options to make money? to start a business or to achieve what I thought at the time was success. You know, I was 18, 19 years old trying to figure that out. For me, I had some friends that started in the corporate world and they were working at software companies doing sales. I'd done sales before, so figured why not? The only problem that I had at the time was I had no background in sales. I had no internships. So I didn't really have like a way in. But for me, my background, I've always been pretty good at just doubling down on one thing and being very action focused. So I just started reaching out to tons of people to learn how to get a job or who could maybe help me get a job. I was reaching out to people from CEOs to people that were in their first year to just learn about what I could maybe do to entice them to help me. So if it was someone in their first year, it was maybe they could get a referral bonus for bringing someone into the company or if it was someone that was a CEO or president of the company. In the case of my first job, actually, I ended up reaching out to the chairman of the board of a big public company, and he ended up helping me get my first job. But I just wanted to start figuring out ways to make money and get focused. I got really into the world of personal development, think and grow rich, how to win friends and influence people, You know, different sales books, start with yes, all these different things. I just wanted to figure it out. Long story short, I moved down to Raleigh, North Carolina. And from there... I saw how much cheaper real estate was compared to where I was living in North Carolina, in New York at the time. So this was 2015. Good reminder and lesson for everyone out there. People always say it's a bad time to get into real estate. In 2015, people were telling me it was the worst time ever to get into real estate because everything was inflated and the interest rates were creeping up. Every year after that, I've also been told it's the worst time to get into real estate. So it's a good reminder for people that you need to listen to the people doing what you want to be doing and not just the noise and the news and the garbage out there. So I started with house hacking in 2015. It's a strategy where you can use a bank loan to buy a property with 3 to 5% down. You can live in the property and then you can rent out the other rooms or units so that you can either live for free or you can maybe even get paid to live or make a little money once your roommates or tenants 
pay you and you have some surplus above the monthly mortgage, tax, principal, insurance. So that was my first test or first taste into real estate to see, wow, there's a way that I can get to financial freedom way faster if I start funneling money I'm making for my corporate job, buying real estate with it, and start to remove some of my biggest life expenses and start to add cash flow. For most people, I forget the exact number, it's like 60 to 65%. Their biggest expense is their housing. So if you can remove your need for a housing payment, like I did when I was 21, 22 years old, and then not have a housing payment for the next five or six years, and you start building other income streams, you really start to snowball your net worth, your cash flow, and you can get ahead of people that aren't buying or building assets. So for me, it kind of became like my obsession. And I was just doing one or two deals a year. Sort of long story short, I had to move back to New York to take a promotion, which I thought was my dream job. But it turned out that was actually a horrible job. Like It was a pretty disappointing feeling when my North Star goal all those years in corporate ended up being a job that I didn't like at all. And I was questioning everything that I'd ever done, like all this work. And now I, I don't like this job. I, I don't like these clients. I don't like this product I'm selling. I'm living in an expensive city that I didn't like. So it really started to motivate me again to figure out how can I get out of this. And then COVID hit. And when COVID hit, I was just going kind of nuts to try to expedite my process to add more income so that I didn't have to work in this corporate job. And that's also where virtual assistants came in. I reread four hour work week and started to meet with a lot of people that had experience with virtual assistants. And because at the time, I didn't think I had enough money to afford employees or contractors. But when I learned about the world of virtual assistants, that you can find great people for three to $8 an hour that can do unbelievably skilled tasks such as cold calling, texting, deal analysis, property analysis, social media marketing, podcast editing. They started to just insert themselves into different parts of my business. And I realized I actually had a passion for system building and helping kind of orchestrate a little bit of a process that could run with or without me. So I started using those resources to then buy more property. During COVID, I just really focused on real estate. I was moving to a different city every month to try to meet people, to try to find different properties, to go to meetup events. I lived in Kentucky for a few months. I lived in Louisville, lived in Cincinnati. Then I went back to North Carolina to live back in a property to house hack again. I'll also say this, guys, you might be hearing this and say, oh my God, this lifestyle sucks. Like You're making such a trade-off maybe to achieve your, your goal. Well, guys, I wanted to be financially free. I wanted to not have a boss when I was 27 or 26 years old. Nothing comes for free in life. Sometimes there are different trade-offs you have to make. But let me also spoil something. At the time, it was so fun. I felt like I was in this high-speed kind of chase, and it felt way better and more exciting than the job that I had. So yes, there are some trade-offs of house hacking. You don't have to do it your whole life. But if you're a younger person or even someone that's just trying to figure out how you can kind of jumpstart your financial future, it's a great strategy. It's not that big of a trade-off. But long story short, I was really trying to figure out which strategy at that point would help me get into the best cash flow. I was looking at wholesaling and flipping and multifamily. And then I kind of stumbled into a short-term rental property because I saw a property that seemed to be doing really well in an area and a property right next to it was listed for rent. So what I did was I actually had a VA reach out to that person and ask them if they would ever consider actually selling the property instead of renting it. And it took a little bit of negotiating, but they said yes. And that was my first STR. And that one STR, which was a small property, which we rented out nightly, ended up making more than all the other rentals I had combined in that first month. And for me at the time, even if it didn't seem like it was going to last forever, it was enough of a uh, proof of concept and enough of something that I thought could last for a few years or you know, maybe depending on the type of style you do it, 
that I could double down on that. And that could kind of expedite my process a little faster. So then from there, just started focusing more on systems, buying more properties, using creative financing. I kept my job. This is a really important thing, guys. I kept my job so that I could get bank loans for low interest rates. When this was COVID, the rates were like 2 to 3% that I couldn't have gotten those loans without a job. So I kept my job. I was using it to buy real estate. And then from there, I was building systems on the back end with VAs and automations and things like that. And uh, that's also when I started making social media content. And I think I said way more than I needed to for that little blurb. So I'll just shut up. And if you have any questions, fire away. I mean, you you mentioned some things there that, uh, you know, right off the bat when you were buying in 2015 and people were telling you, hey, it's too high. What are you doing? I think everyone's been there that's considered investing in real estate. I know when I used to go to Hawaii uh, for 10 years, we would vacation there. And every time my wife said, are we going to buy something here? And be like, hell no, it's too expensive. And you go back next year. And it was another $200,000 more than it was a year before. I'm like, that's crazy. I'm not going to spend that. And it just kept going up. So you're right. I mean, that's what real estate does. And, and it, to take advantage of it, I think you found it a unique angle here when we're talking about virtual assistance. And so if I'm a real estate investor, why don't you explain what can a virtual assistant help me do? Because I know a lot of people that mm-hmm. watch my channel, they're listening to this right now, they're working. Like you said, they still have their job. It helps them get their loans. But they, when are you finding the time to go out there and find the deals and do the calls? So, so how did that work? How does it work? So just to paint the picture of what virtual assistants can be, here are a few things that they do for me. Now, this isn't what a beginner would start with, but we can back into what a beginner would start with. But for me right now, I don't check my email. I don't check my DMs. I'm not doing any property analysis or property outreach. As far as management goes, there are some management tasks that I'll do of the people, but we just hired someone who's an American person, but they are head of operations and they're managing our virtual assistants and things like that. But for me right now, anything that has to do with video editing, anything administrative, anything with replying to messages, anything with deal analysis, that is done by a virtual assistant. And most of our virtual assistants are actually in the Philippines. They're paid anywhere from five to $10 an hour. And then what we like to do is we like to set up KPIs and bonus structures based on them achieving different outcomes. So we set a number of deals that we would like them to analyze per day and per week. We send some of those to some of our students, but then we also send a newsletter out. And per deal that they analyze over a certain criteria that then we validate, we'll pay them a bonus. So I think there's a lot of different ways that you can do it. But if I was starting again with virtual assistants, here's my advice. Start with just one thing. Make a list of every task or every activity that you think is required in your business or that you do today and sort it by things you either like doing, that you're good at doing, that you think you need to do or don't need to do, and then start to begin that kind of role or job description to see who can maybe take over that task for you. And I still remember this to this day. It was such a light bulb moment when I realized not everything that I don't like doing, someone else doesn't also like doing. There are people that love to do the things that I hate. Bookkeeping is another one. That's another virtual assistant task. So what I would do is start with one task or one activity that you don't think you like doing. For some people, it's email. For real estate investors, it could be deal analysis or cold calling. Okay. What you can do is start with an agency. If you guys are interested in any of the agencies we recommend, just shoot me a DM on Instagram with the word agency. We'll send you the list. Or if you want to do the process yourself, and by the way, I'm not an affiliate with any of those. They're not my companies. It's just for some people, it's easier to start with an agency than doing the full process yourself. But if you're interested in also doing the full process yourself, we can help you with that. We have free training on that as well. But 
We use typically sites called Upwork and onlinejobs.ph. And you can do two things. You can start either a job description and then have people apply, or you can um, search for people that already have that description or that experience. And you can just reach out to them and you can tell them what you're looking for help with and see if they're available or what type of experience they have. I could dig way more into like the interview process and like the finding process. But for us right now, it's grown into something. But at the beginning, it was just starting with one task. And then it kind of became like addicting because I realized I didn't like doing some of these things. Now they were being done better than when I was doing them. What else can we delegate to people? And that sort of continued to be the way that we would grow and scale the business. So if I subscribe to LoopNet and uh, I was pulling down uh, properties in a certain area, could I send that up to a VA and have them you know, analyze it or cold call them? Is that what you would use it for? So regarding deal analysis, virtual assistants can definitely help with outreach and analysis. So some VAs have experience of pulling records, like going onto the local courthouse sites or local city or county sites, pulling records, skip tracing the records, and then calling and texting. What you would just need to provide to them in a lot of cases is the software to do it, calling or texting software. There's tons of different softwares that you could use. We used to use um, Mojo and some people use Zendialer, but there's tons. But in some cases, they have that experience. I would probably look for ones that had that experience. It could then set the meeting. And in theory, then they could set a meeting for you or they could set it for someone else, maybe on your team as a closer. Or if you have deals already, They can help with the analysis if you have a process for analysis. So in some cases, they may have financial analysis background. They might have an accounting or bookkeeping background, so they're good with spreadsheets. But in some cases, you might want to teach them your special way that you analyze deals or the way that you have a criteria of deals that you like to look for. So for us, we found VAs that had experience with numbers and spreadsheets, but then we taught them our ways of analyzing deals and where to pull data from. For the cold calling, when we used to do that, they actually had experience with cold calling and texting. So we didn't teach them too much of what to say on the phone and the scripts. We would definitely listen to the calls and see how they were doing. But that's an example of what that could look like. And people do it every day. It's definitely a little bit of, I'd say, you know, a first time thing for people that haven't done it. There's a little bit of a learning curve. But if you stick with it, um, it's what all the top wholesalers and flippers and a lot of the companies are using to find off-market deals and analyze them quickly. So if I was thinking about using a virtual assistant, you know, you said you go into Philippines and how do, how well do they speak English as far as does it translate well? And I know they speak English, but is there a heavy accent or something like that? And does that, you know, throw people off? I mean, what does the, the process look like to find that virtual assistant that you know is going to be able to work for you? I'm glad you asked because the process to find VAs is more important than any work that you actually give them because you want to find qualified people that can do the job you need help with and actually want to want to do the job that you need help with. Speaking English is a huge part. Most of the VAs, though, that are going to apply, they speak pretty good English. We like VAs or anyone in the Philippines to speak really good English. So that's an important thing for us. One of the ways that we start to screen people out is to ask them to submit a Loom video, which is basically just like a video recording themselves where they answer three to five questions. And that tells us very quickly a few things. It tells us, one, how well do they speak English? Two, what is their energy and enthusiasm level? Three, we get to see their tech setup and how good or bad they are with technology. And just from doing that alone, we screen out tons of people who aren't maybe ready for the job or can handle the technology for the job. So that's a really important piece. 
one of the other most important things we do in screening virtual assistants is we don't just send out the application. What we do is we'll publish a job description. And then at the bottom, the last line of the entire description will ask them to do something that in order for them, they have to do that thing in order for them to get the application. So at the end of every one of our job descriptions, we'll ask them to say, email us with the subject line purple hippo. Okay. And then what we do is in Google, Gmail, we'll set up a filter and then an auto reply. It's very easy. We could show anyone how to do it. Where if someone reads the application, they read the job description and then they email us with the word purple hippo, an auto reply will go back to them and we'll send them the application and it'll move their email into a folder that we set up in Gmail. And then we never have to see it until I set a setting on Google Forms that says email me when someone has finished the Google Form. At that point, then we have a nice candidate list of people who have already followed a little bit of instruction. We see that they can follow attention to detail. And then we start with their Loom videos to read and watch how they act themselves and how they conduct their conversations. And from there, we can rank them based on their English, their tech, you know, their enthusiasm. And then we can start seeing if we want to give them a test project or if we want to set up an interview. So that's like some basic things. But by doing that, you take this huge pool of people and you condense it into a very efficient sort of higher caliber of applicants that then are worth talking to. And they've sort of already self-screened themselves and they've already sort of done some interviews themselves by proving what they can or can't do. That's brilliant. You're the first person has ever told me that before, and I can see the wisdom in it. Like when you said that purple hippo thing, right away, I mean, it shows people that can follow directions, take action, and are not just blindly replying to anything that comes out there. Wow, self-sorting. Excellent. And I, I'd imagine, too, you would look at when they reply to the email, how long does it take them to complete the application? Because to me, that would be important as well. Yeah, that's a really big thing. Depending on how well or how fast they submit an application, that gives a huge indicator of what type of person they're going to be when we hire them. Because again, that's part of the process. If someone responds very slow in the interview process, they're probably going to respond very slow when you hire them. So it's a great test to see, okay, how are they acting now? It's a good preview of how they'll act when we work together. Wow. All right. So once you get the VA, you, you, you settle on one. Then you're going to, like you said, you're going to give them one or two tasks that you don't want to do. So how much time would I look at having to invest in that person initially to A, get them up to speed to understand? And then what, when could I be looking at, you know, getting some meaningful results out of someone? Is this a three week, six week, 12 week type of process? Okay. So a few disclaimers here. When you ask yourself, how long is it going to take to get this virtual assistant up to speed and running and doing the job in my business? If you hire someone from an agency, it should be very quick. It should just be that first week, you're going to show them the operations of your business, how you do things, what your values are, and then hopefully they can start to implement and execute. If it's someone that you find yourself then it all depends on the level of training and the level of systems and SOPs that you have in your business already. So for us, one of the most important things that we ever did was we created a task list called all repeatable tasks. There's like 120 all repeatable, there's 120 repeatable tasks in our business. So what we'll do is we will make Loom videos and we'll outline instructions for every one of those tasks. So that whoever comes into our company on day one, 
will show them the tasks that they are sort of assigned to do or expected to do. And it's very easy for them to get onboarded and trained because they have checklists and step-by-steps for every task in the business, along with Loom video recordings of how that task is done. So we did that to improve our own internal process, but also to ramp up the speed that someone can get onboarded. For us, though, if someone is pretty green and they're going to be learning all of our process and training, I like to meet with them every day for the first 10 days to 14 days. And then from there, we'll see where they stand, if they're picking things up properly. But also, Clint, I'll say this. If someone isn't getting it after 10 to 14 days of daily calls and our repeatable task lists, we just fire them because that's showing that they're not ever going to get it. Mm -hmm. We like to fire quickly and we like to hire quickly. Okay. Because once there's no... We, our process of interviewing is the best we can do to sort of screen people out and then do interviews, but you never know how someone is going to act until you're actually working together. So for us, we like to get them kind of inside. They'll sign a, a contract. So we have privacy, but then it's up to them of how quickly they can jump in and what their attitude is. If they don't have a good attitude, if they're not responding quickly, we might fire them in less than a week. It's just a matter of understanding how well they're doing their part of the business. So. That's typical for us, 10 to 14 days. And then we have a pretty good idea of how much additional handholding they might need in order to do the job. You know, you mentioned something, and I hope people listening has picked up on this. Actually, you've mentioned it a few times. You keep talking about your investing as a business. And this is something that I tell real estate investors time and time again, is that you can't look at yourself as an investor. You have to treat it like a business. And, and, what you're saying is that in order to find what you found success is that you systematized it. You put in SOPs, the things that businesses do so it runs efficiently. And, and as you stated, it kind of runs on its own. So I hope they're getting that. Now, you teach classes, do you not, and offer assistance with that type of training to, to show someone how to systematize their business? Totally. So we teach in a lot of different ways. We make tons of free content and just do YouTube and TikTok and Instagram and Twitter. Again, because now we have a team, we have virtual assistants that can help with editing and repurposing and distribution. When it was just me starting out, I had no idea how content creation worked. But yeah, now we put out content on what we do day to day. And for people that are really serious or want help, we even have some products that will handhold people to find their first deal or build out their team or find their property management team so they can do it all in-house and they can build income streams the same way that I did. Content has become such an important part of our business, not just for teaching other people, but also for finding deals, for building business relationships. You know, I've found partners that way. It's unbelievable of how different, you know, or it's unbelievable when you think about the amount of people you can reach and get you know, to know you that you would never have the time to know at a mass scale. So it's a great way also when we meet a new broker or a new lender, you know, they see that we have a little bit more credibility because we have content. That's how it works with anyone that makes content. You can learn more about them before you actually have to meet them. So for us, the content and the teaching was kind of an accidental thing, but we're really fired up about it and passionate about it. And yeah, we help people get property, hire virtual assistants. We even have a process that we've used on how to automate starting your own prod- podcast and using virtual assistants to edit it. So anything that we do, we turn into pretty much a step-by-step process that we create content about, or we'll turn into a product if people want to buy it. Yeah. I mean, the thing I keep telling people is you need to invest in yourself. And here's an opportunity. If you're thinking, of, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, I need a virtual assistant, but I just don't know how to go out there and, and put one together. 
I would definitely recommend they reach out to you because I've been there before. I used a virtual assistant uh, at a time and be straight up, it was a struggle for me to, to figure that process out. I went through three of them uh, until I finally found one that, that worked well with me, but I had to learn it as, as I went. And cause I didn't, I didn't know of anyone that, you know, that could educate me and teach me, Hey, Clint, you can skip, you know, the three months of wasted effort and time of training these people. Had you just done this, this and this, like you stated, you could have got rid of them, found the new one. And that's, I think part of the problem too, is that people tend, I know, and I'm just thinking, speaking for myself, tend to think, all right, well, maybe I can, this person can do it and I'll give them a few extra chances. And, and what you're saying is, you know, you don't got enough time. You got to get that business off the ground and running. So if they wanted to learn more, about you and, and, and those programs, where would you direct them to go? Just one quick thing that I think is important to talk about. Mm -hmm. It gets way easier to delegate and pay people to help you with things in your business when you understand the value of your time. So for example, if it takes you three months and 50 hours to find and figure something out yourself, if you know your dollar per hour cost, you'll probably make a very different decision in figuring out how you're going to get that outcome. So what's the, what a better value spending money to learn how to do something or spend 50 hours of your own time to figure it out and get frustrated yourself. When I realized my dollar per hour time, I realized I should only be doing leveraged things and I should be paying people to help me with things that I wasn't good at doing or wouldn't do myself. So it's just a really important thing. If people out there are not sure really where to start or how to start, maybe start by just understanding what your dollar per hour value is. And then think about it like you should pay someone to do anything that's less than that. You know, if you could hire a cleaner for your house or someone to cut your grass or a caddy to carry your golf clubs, whatever it is, once you know your dollar per hour, outsourcing makes a lot more sense because you're actually saving money instead of spending money. So I needed that shift myself. As far as if people want to get in touch or talk to us or check out our content, you know, we'll, we'll link all of our socials, but across Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, it's all the same. It's just John J. Farb, J-O-N-J-F-A-R-B. And we make content on every platform. YouTube, we make longer videos explaining how we do things in depth. The other channels, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube Reels, it's mostly just about short form content, kind of giving people quick digestible pieces of what we do day to day. But that's the main way. We answer pretty much every DM that comes to us. So if you have a question or ever want to get in touch, just shoot me a DM on any of those platforms and happy to see if we can help. Great. Hey, I want to appreciate you taking the time coming on today and sharing with us this valuable information about virtual assistants. That's something that I never thought about from the real estate context. And I, I know the listeners have got a ton out of this. So again, thank you very much. Thank you, Clint. Look forward to speaking again soon. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode.